Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number three of Opera After Dark. Dun, dun, dun. Like Good it. sound. Thank yeah. you. Elspeth Thank you. is a singer. Uh, yes, <laughs> so I'm Kyle. I'm Elspeth. And I'm Naomi. And today we're going to continue our Men Behind the Music uh, series. We're talking about scandalous composers. And today, as is advertised, we're talking about perhaps the most scandalous of them all. Or maybe just the most crazy of them all. I go with crazy. And that's Hector Berlioz. Mm-hmm. The man who started it all. Yes, oh, true. The man, and when we say that, it's the man who put this idea into our heads. He to inspires talk about. us. So thank you, Berlioz, <laughs> for all you did. Eef. Almost did. All right, but before we launch into that, Elspeth, why don't you tell us about our wine selection for today? Okay, well, today we are drinking a Bordeaux from France, obviously, in honor of Berlioz. Mm-hmm. And this is a Chateau Grisac Medonc from 2011. It is good. It is good. It is a very dark red-violet color, green olive, black currant with a medium finish. A solid plum and cassia's fruit is lined with a roasted cedar and tobacco notes. A cedary hint imparts a pleasant texture on the finish. It's true. Right. So we're drinking this, and we're loving it, and... Let's just dive right into it. We have barely owes it up. We have a crazy man to discuss today mm-hmm. with quite a wild story. So here we go. Barelios. Hector Barelios. Oh man, strap in because this is bananas. So Barelios, he wrote Les Troyens, mm-hmm. and so he is an opera composer. Oh, Damnation of Faust. Damnation of Faust, yes. And he also wrote lots of vocal music, mm-hmm. but he is definitely most well known for his symphonic music, um, Symphonie Fantastique, yes. Herald in Italy, mm-hmm. the symphonic setting of Romeo and Juliet. So little interesting fact that he never actually learned to play piano because his father was not really very supportive of his musical interests. And so Berlioz never learned to play piano, which most composers throughout history at some point did. Did he learn how to play anything? He learned how to play flute and guitar, I think. And and so, but I think that this, this lack of piano is part of what made, in my opinion, his instrumental writing with orchestra is so interesting because he didn't think of things in a pianistic way. He thought of things in an instrumental way, Mm -hmm. kind of when you think about the flute in the orchestra. So he didn't compose at a piano or anything like that, which many composers did. But anyway, so his father does not support his musical interests. Mm -hmm. So Berlioz enrolls in medical school. Right. And uh, he has a class where he has to do an autopsy on a human body, and he's so grossed out that he actually describes planning or attempting to jump out the window mm-hmm. of the laboratory because he's so appalled by the idea of doing right. an autopsy on a human body. And all this actually did happen. We highly yes. recommend um, his memoirs. Barely was his memoirs that he wrote himself. It's all true. Highly entertaining. Really entertaining. It's a combination of really interesting musicology and totally bonkers <laughs> descriptions, <laughs> descriptions of, of his life yes. and his motivations. But um, He's have... a very dramatic writer, mm-hmm. and so Berlioz also wrote things that ha- are really important in musicology. Like He wrote treatises on how to write for the orchestra. They are texts that are still used today when people are trying to learn yes. how to set music in a certain way. And if you read the original treatises in their translated forms or what have you, he'll say things like, oh, the flute, like such passion one can draw from this, or the cello so melancholy with like two exclamation marks or things of mm-hmm. that nature. So he's a very passionate man. 
Do you have a title of any of his uh, writing compositions? I think or? his memoirs is just called Memoirs. I think so, yeah. By yeah. If you Hector just put Berlioz. into Google, Berlioz, like, yeah. Hector Berlioz, comma, Memoirs, it will okay. pop up. And they've been translated into English because he wrote them in French. Right. So... All right, but, but back to the, the crux of this, this story. So he abandons medical school, much to his father's dismay, and attempts to become a composer. Mm-hmm. And apparently he started hanging out at the Paris Conservatoire and just went to look for opera scores in their library. And the dean of the conservatoire at the time uh, caught him in there and kicked him out several times because he was not an actual student there. So he eventually enrolled... And then uh, through his studies, he starts actually composing at this point. And then he won the Prix de Rome. So just to give you some context, in 1826, he enrolls as a student in the conservatory. In 1830, he wins the Prix de Rome, which is a really important prize. Mm -hmm. And he becomes engaged to a woman by the name of Camille Moak. And then... Part of the prize of the Prix de Rome is that you have to spend two years in In Rome Rome. studying. Mm -hmm. And so even though he's engaged, he goes off to Rome with plans of returning after his two years are done. And while he's in Rome, he gets a letter from Camille's mother saying, you know what, Berlioz? Camille's not going to marry you. Did she really always hate him? I think so. Because she knows she wanted a better match for her daughter. Oh, her mother hated him. Yeah, her mother. I'm sorry. Camille's mother always hated Berlioz because he was a poor composer. Right. And so he shipped off to Rome. Perfect opportunity for her. Writes in this letter, Hey, Berlioz, you're no longer engaged to my daughter. I'm marrying her off to one of the Pleiels. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know about the Playel family, they were a very successful piano manufacturing family in France at the mm. time. So Playel pianos were like the piano of choice for Chopin, Debussy, Stravinsky, Ravel, for many people right. came later. Um, so they are building this empire. And so... It's the ultimate slap in the face for someone who might have been self-conscious about their lack of keyboard skills. Oh! That's how I'm... As someone who is upset that they don't have keyboard skills themselves, uh, that's how I would interpret it, personally. Oh, nice. All right. So... This is when it gets weird. Yeah. (laughs) He's so upset and enraged that his engagement has been broken off that he concocts an elaborate plan to enact his revenge. Mm -hmm. I just want to say this is documented in his memoirs. Yes. He goes and gets a dress made for himself. Mm -hmm. Like a a serving maid. Like a maid's dress. A uniform, yeah. He procures like a wig and a hat or something like that. He has the dress. He also gets a pistol. He gets vials of poison. And he concocts this plan that he's going to sneak into the house where Camille Moak lives and kill her, her mother, and her new husband slash fiance. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. And he goes, like, he actually commits to this plan, gets the dress made. Right? He buys a pistol because he plans on shooting them all, but then also gets poisoned just in case he fails. Mm-hmm. And then he's like riding in his carriage back to France to enact his revenge. And then somewhere along the way, he decides that maybe this is not the best way 
to get revenge on them, or maybe this is not a good choice for his life path. Yes. Isn't there some kind of quote about like madness and genius being hand in hand? Or... Yeah, exactly. There is. I can't remember it off the top of my head, wow. but he, yeah. I think, typifies it. And so, but so he abandoned this whole plan. Yes. He abandons the whole plan. Goes back to Rome. Goes back to Rome, finishes his time there. Mm-hmm. And then, but, so while this has happened, the other strange thing is the whole time that he's upset about this heartbreak with Camille Moke, mm-hmm. he also lays eyes on a woman that becomes an obsession of his, Harriet Smithson. So Harriet Smithson was an actress. She was born in Ireland, I believe, and then kind of broke into... She came from a very theatrical family and then broke into the Shakespearean uh, acting circuit uh, with her portrayal of Ophelia in Hamlet. Mm -hmm. She does this in Paris. She performs this on September 11th, 1827. Berlioz is in the audience. He falls madly instantly in love with her. So... This is between the time that he's enrolled at the conservatory, but Mm. before he wins the Prix de Rome. Mm -hmm. He starts writing her letters, Harriet Smithson. Harriet Mm. Smithson does not speak French. Right. (laughs) 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 But... So she obviously does not respond to these letters. Doesn't respond to the letters. Right. He writes her incessantly. He keeps trying to meet her. She refuses. And... He writes her so, he becomes so obsessed with her that he writes a symphony about his obsession mm-hmm. with her. Symphony Fantastique. Symphony Fantastique, which premiered in Paris. Oh, no, yeah. No, around 1830, which is also around the time that he becomes engaged to Camille Moak. Mm-hmm. So the timeline's a little, you know, parallel here. But Harriet did not go and see the work performed. She didn't see it performed until two years later in 1832. And then finally, in 1833, so this is after Berlioz has laid to rest his whole revenge plan. Right. Um, she finally agrees to meet him. And she only spoke English. He only spoke French. So obviously, communication was a bit of a problem. Mm-hmm. And they actually got married. And so I think like the common thing that people say is that she was like, if I marry you, will you please stop writing me letters? <laughs> like, also, will this appease you? If, I heard you know. that he like had the poison um, and was like, if you don't marry me, oh, I'm going right. to kill myself. And oh, so she was like, oh, my God. okay. And so they did. And obviously it was um, not a successful marriage. <laughs> right. It was very bitter. Um, they eventually separated. For obvious reasons. Yes. Um, But the Symphonie Fantastique is really like a musical testament to his obsession with Mm -hmm. her. In it, there's a melody called the Idée Fixe, which basically means like fixed idea or like the object of his obsession, which is supposed to be a musical portrayal of her. And so you hear it at the beginning of the symphony and then you hear it in every single movement as it's a very programmatic symphony. And so it's kind of telling the story of his obsession with her and his hallucinations about her. Mm -hmm. And so I think we should listen to the Idée Fixe because this is his musical expression of Harriet Smithson.
were talking about Berlioz's memoirs, and Naomi, you actually have the book in front of us, so I was wondering if you would do a dramatic reading. Of course I will. Thank <laughs> I'm you. I'm so excited. A dramatic reading. A very, mm -hmm. I'll be as dramatic as possible. Now, there is an, an excerpt in here. It's several pages long. I won't read the whole thing, but it basically outlines his whole plan to assassinate Camille Moke and her fiancé in their home. The when Pyle's. was this book published? This book, I'm going to have to look in the front flap here. This book was published, oh boy. And he wrote this himself. Like he did. These are his this words. This is his memoirs. So what I'm getting at is he published this book, and then Camille Moke and her entire family potentially could have like sat in the parlor and read about this assassination attempt. <laughs> well, think murder it... attempt that they didn't know about. Well, this particular book and this translation into English, I believe, was not published until 1912, so a little bit later. Yeah, but I mean, it was first published in French when it was in French. In French, and I don't know what Technically, the original... Technically, they could have read it. She could have been sitting there and just been like, oh, this man I almost married wrote this book, and he's a super <laughs> famous composer. I'm going to read about it. Roar, I'm in this. It would be rather shocking. She's mentioned a lot, although in it, if you like actually look at it, he blots her name out, so it's like <gasps> Mademoiselle... C dash or M dash, and he does that with some of his friends too. And so scholars have gone through and like figured out who these people are. But oh my isn't that a super gosh. common thing to do though in books of that time? Just so, I guess so you don't get sued for libel or something? I've never heard of that, but like in Jane Austen novels, they do that sometimes. I did not oh, know really? that. Yeah. Oh. We well, need there to get you a go. publisher in here. I mean, well, it sounds like you just know. I'm, I You're could, giving me a face like you know. Sorry, no, she's no. a big reader, so I mean. <laughs> but like Henry Fielding and people that sort of wrote sort of around that time. When I say that time, like in a hundred year span, you see that a lot. And I always, when I read these books when I was younger, was confused as to why. And I think it's because so they can say these things about people and of actual people, and they can't get sued for libel or anything. Makes, makes sense. sense. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, let us know. Yes. Well, let's hear a, a murder plot. Yes, okay, sorry. Okay, so, so he goes on several pages, and so there's lots I could share. I've tried to pull out some of the bits that I, I like the best. And so we talked a little bit about how he like got a whole maid's outfit mm -hmm. made for himself. So the first part, he's talking about how he goes to a French milliner's, and he said, I entered the shop, and having consulted my watch, spoke as follows. Madame, it is now midday. I am leaving by tonight's mail. I need a complete lady's maid outfit, dress, hat, green veil, and the rest, by five o'clock. Can you do it for me? I will pay you whatever you want. Money is no object. <laughs> the milliner thought for a moment and then assured me it would be all ready by the appointed time. I paid a deposit, returned across the river to the Hotel de Quatre Nations, where I was staying, and summoned the head porter. Then he goes on to talk about how he's like leaving for France and he's packing everything up and that sort of thing. And so he loads a double-barreled pistol into his valise or his valise. How do you pronounce that? Valise. 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 Yes. And then he talks about how at five o'clock he goes back to the milliner's and he tried on his finery. It fit perfectly. In paying the agreed sum, I gave 20 francs too much. The young assistant at the cash desk noticed and tried to point out my mistake, but her mistress interposed and pushed her aside, sweeping the money briskly into the tell. Leave the gentleman alone, you silly goose. Do you think he has time to listen to your chatter? And I smiled ironically. She bowed with a singular grace and nodded. A thousand thanks, sir. You will be quite charming. I predict a great success for your little comedy. <laughs> so we're listening to the mundane facts of a murder plot. Yes, yes. 
So then he talks about his travels, and he's, so he's traveling from Italy to France, and he right. says, mile after mile went by, and between the courier and me, a profound silence reigned. My throat was dry and tight. My teeth clenched. I neither ate nor said anything. Towards midnight, we exchanged a few words about the pistols I was carrying, which he prudently uncapped and concealed under the cushions, for he was afraid that we might be attacked, in which case he must not even look as though we were meant to defend ourselves if we did not want to be murdered. As you wish, I said, I should hate to compromise us, and I have no quarrel with the brigands. Brigands? Brigands. Brigands. Oh, and then, okay, so they have a stop in Genoa, and he says, On our arrival in Genoa, I had lost my female attire. We had changed coaches at a village called Pietra Santa, and I had left it behind. Damnation take it, I thought. Some cursed guardian angel must be trying to foil my plan. Wait, wait, wait. Time out. That's the reason why he changed his mind, because he accidentally left the lady outfit somewhere? <laughs> no, he didn't change his mind. He was just determined to get another one, because he lost his original one. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. How did you lose that? Wasn't he, was he wearing it? No, no. He was oh, just he in just the like, coach. Oh, oh, God. Excuse me. <laughs> All right, please continue. Okay. He said, well, we shall see. So at once I got hold of a manservant who could speak both French and Genovese. He took me off to a milliner's. It was almost midday. The coach left again at six. I demanded another set of clothes, but was told that it was impossible for me to fit out in so short a time. Oh, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Okay. <laughs> Three other milliners refused for the same reason. Finally, we found one who said she would summon more seamstresses and do her best to have it ready in time. She was good to her word. I was re-equipped. But while I had been chasing after dressmakers, the Sardinian police had been examining my passport and had concluded that I was a dangerous character, an emissary of the July Revolution. Yeah, no shit. Co-working for a liberation. They refused to give me a visa for Turin and informed me that I must go by Nice. Then for God's sakes, give me a visa for Nice. What difference does it make? I will go by the infernal regions if you wish, so long as I go, he says. So then he goes on, he talks about his encounter with the police, and then this is perhaps my favorite part. I set out accordingly along the road to Nice. And this gets kind of long, but bear with me. Okay. Far from having cooled off, I rehearsed in my mind every detail of the little comedy I intended to enact when I reached Paris. Oh, of course he did. I go to my friend's house at nine in the evening, just when the family has assembled for tea. I say I am Countess M's, meaning Madame Moke's, personal maid with an urgent message. I am shown into the drawing room where I deliver the letter. While it is being read, I draw my double-barreled pistols, blow out the brains of a number one and number two, seize number three by the hair, reveal myself, and disregarding her screams, pay my response to her in a similar fashion, after which, before this cantata of voices and orchestra had had time to attract attention, I present my right temple with the unanswerable argument of the remaining barrel. Or should the gun by any chance misfire, I have recourse to my cordials. Remember, he had the little poison right. in his pocket. Mm. What a fine scene it would have made. It really is a pity it had to be dropped. So by this point, he's decided not to go through with it. Does he say why? Just all the bureaucratic bullshit? And yet, despite my rage, I began to think other thoughts. It would, of course, be a moment of intense gratification. But to have to kill myself immediately afterwards was not so satisfactory. <laughs> <laughs> to say farewell to life and art, to leave behind me the reputation of a boor, a savage who did not know how to live, to leave my first symphony unfinished, to have another greater work in my head unwritten. No, it was by then and my utmost blunted purpose would reassert itself and I would exclaim, no, 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 I must destroy them, I must blow their brains out, they must all die, they must and they shall. And the horses trotted on, bearing me towards France. And night fell. 
You have Jeez. to be kidding me. I mean... So I was listening to this, and I was like, but really, Berlioz, how convincing are you going to be in a maid's garb? So just to refresh myself, I googled a picture of Hector Berlioz, and actually, <laughs> when you look at it... You could be a pretty hot lady. Well, these are like, well, no. <laughs> Can I see? But couldn't you see that, like... But that's, these are pictures, if anyone older... is curious, we'll put a picture up on um, the website and Twitter. This is like old Berlioz. Yeah, yeah but I could young Berlioz pictures. I think there's only a painting of young Berlioz, oh. and he's like wild red hair. Well, I'm just saying. Was he hot? I don't know about that, but like. You know what? I'm confusing him with List. List, everybody. Here's if you a get younger. A, no, it's still like the same face. You think List was a looker? Are you kidding? Like young List, everybody go look that up. List was hot. We can talk about this in another episode. Yeah, but it's like you know, Rockstar List. Rockstar List. <laughs> People, you know, if they could throw their enormous amounts of underwear, they would have. Well, in any case... Eight petticoats. <laughs> no, please stop. No, no, but really, stop. Oh, I don't need this, this much underwear. I love you, Franz. <laughs> but I see, okay, at least the old, the pictures of old Hector Berlioz, I could see him as like an old maid. And like literally, yeah, his figure maid. was pretty trim throughout his life. It yeah. looks like so. Yes. If you just put like and, a, a and all cap of these on pictures, head, I mean, I'm sure it's just up. the style of the time. But his neck is covered in all of these photos, so right. like, you don't see an Adam's apple. So right, right. Well, I think that he's gonna go in. It sounds like it's all gonna happen so fast. Hmm. That no one will know. Well, he's no gonna need to convince really somebody that he's like the 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 maid, you know, of Miss Moak. Yeah. I. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not defending him. I'm just saying it would. Ha it's maybe there were holes in the plot. It never actually happened, That's so we'll true. never know if it would have worked. I, I figured out why he changed his mind. Oh yes, please tell us. Okay, he says, "I reached Nice, still growling at intervals. I waited a few days. Then Mr. Vernet's letter came—a friendly, sim sympathetic, paternal letter which touched me profoundly. The great man, though ignorant of the cause of my troubles, gave me the best advice possible." He pointed out that work and art were the two sovereign remedies for an afflicted mind. He told me that my name was still on the register, that the mister should never hear of my escapade. In short, that I could return to Rome, where I would be received with open arms. Hmm. So they are saved, I said with a deep sigh. Suppose I live too, live peacefully, contentedly for music. What a farce. Why not try? So I lived and drank deep draughts of the balmy air of Nice. Life and joy came running. Music embraced me, and the future smiled at me. I stayed in Nice for a month, wandering in the orange groves, immersing myself in the sea, dozing in the heather among the hills, and watching for their splendid heights and silent traffic of ships coming and going across the shining waters. I was entirely on my own. On my own, I rode an overture to King Lear. I breathed, I sang, I believed in God. A convalescence indeed. They were the happiest weeks of my life. The king of the Sardini of Sardinia's police, crossing my path for the second time, put an end to this idyllic existence. <laughs> I wish that people could see my face right now. I know. <laughs> I feel like he's trying to prove a point that, like. I, I'm winning in this scenario. Right, because I'm living for art. I'm above it all. Right. But, I mean, come on, man. This is going to negatively impact my listening to any of his music. Oh, but it's so good. Like, it's entertaining, but I just... Is there is there more that we need to hear, or shall Well, I'm, I'm glancing over this, and basically he just agrees to return to Rome and continue to p compose 
Somehow he like lost his piano in all of this and his sketchbook. Wait, was his well, piano? Was he like carting it behind? <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. Well, I was say, I'm gonna we, take my piano to Nice. As we established previously, he's not particularly skilled at playing it. It seems like so. he's trying to convince the Did police. Did he bring his flute? <laughs> <laughs> hey oh. 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 Boo, boo. <laughs> Got him. Uh. <laughs> oh. Well, that's that. Barely. Yeah, that that's about as much. I mean, I could go on because, like, literally, he rambles just about his life for like literally six hundred right. pages. So I also learned from reading this that Camille Moke was like a hugely successful virtuosic pianist that rivaled Liszt in ability. Oh, good on you, Whoa. girl. Yeah. So she was like the first female rock star, really, of that day. Oh. Yeah. yeah. We know who's winning in this scenario. Yeah. She's the Beyonce. She's Beyonce of her time. To Liz on the Jay Z? No, no. I no, would say they're not list, together. They're not together. I would say list. Oh, I'm gonna make a horrible comparison and nobody get mad at me. I'd say list is like the Justin Bieber. <laughs> but like, no, like the level of that of we can talk about this in another episode, with the level of, of like obsession of his fans. Like people crying and I agree. That's true. That's the petticoats, very true. The petticoats. Right. Not music the, not musical. The throwing talent. of underwear. The throwing of petticoats. Um, not musical talent-wise, but just, like, the level of rabid fandom. Right. That's fair. Let's say that. Sure. Okay. So, it sounds like that's all we have about Hector Berlioz. At least, actually, I'm ready to cut us off. All right. It's all we have time for today. (laughs) I'm just joking. I... I will still love the music of Hector Berlioz. Oh, you better. It's great. Yeah. But in any case, thank you for listening. This concludes our Men Behind the Music series. And so now we can move on to other things. Um, But at least now we all know just how crazy some uh, classical music composers can be. That's right. Yes. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, please subscribe. Please follow us on Twitter. Please like us on Facebook for any and all updates. Yeah. And if you want to give us like a, a really great little present, go ahead and go into iTunes or Google Play Music or wherever you listen from and leave us a review. That would be great. We would love you forever. And as long as right. it's a good review. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please leave us a good review. Yeah, be nice. But thank you very much. And until next week, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? That's Kyle. I'm Naomi. And I'm Elspeth. And thank you for listening to Opera After Dark. Bye. separated from Harriet, he married again to this woman named uh, Marie Recchio, who was an opera singer. Mm-hmm. And then she died not that long after of a stroke. Um, apparently, he was visiting her grave in Montmartre and um, he happened upon this uh, woman named uh, Amelie, who was 24. And that's how he developed, you know, this a very close relationship with her for uh, the rest of his life. <laughs> Did yes. you, wait, did you say how old he was at this point? 
I did not. I'd have to check the year, but like he was not a young man. He was not a young man. I want to say he was in his 60s, possibly 70s. Yeah. Okay. So. I don't know. Unfortunately, I don't know if I'll be able to listen to any works by Berlioz and uh, feel the same about it. The Symphony Fantastique is such an amazing symphony. You should really listen to it and you should really read the program note. Yeah. Because he gives like a good few paragraphs describing the artist's journey, the artist being him in okay. each movement. It's really amazing. It's genius. It's crazy, but it's genius. Mm. Hello everyone. Welcome to episode three of Opera After Dark. Dun dun dun. Ooh, nice. Nice Thank sound. You. Uh, yes, today we are continuing with our Men Behind the Music uh, series. That's right. And most importantly, today, well, before we get into it, shit. <laughs> Who are you, by the way? <laughs> What? what do you mean? Who am I? <laughs> Who? What oh, is your I name? Forgot. No, I was thinking. What I was. I was gonna get right into. Today we're gonna be talking about Berlioz, but I realized it's we need to introduce. Do you want to just do the whole thing again? Or? Yeah. Okay. So we're gonna introduce ourselves. Then you're gonna say Berlioz, we're gonna talk about Berlioz, and then you're gonna. And, do and then the you're wine. gonna say, "Why don't you tell us about the wine we're drinking?" Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's do this. Hmm.